0: Sometimes political change can take a very long time to, um, to take effect. Um, and you have to have patience. And if you have to sit through a three-hour council meeting uh, so that you can have the 15 seconds at the end to go over and shake somebody's hand and introduce yourself uh, to, to, to open up a conversation two months later, you do it.
1: You're listening to The Breakdown with me, Chris Clearfield. The Breakdown is a podcast where we connect with business owners and experts to hear their perspectives on this crazy, complex world. I'm your host and fellow learner, and I'm glad you're here. So who are you? Tell me, tell me what you do. And in- Oh, man.
0: Yeah. What, uh, you know, I guess um, who I am, uh, most commonly people like to define themselves as who they are by what, what the act. Activities are that they do. Um, I, I like to. Uh, I like to approach it. A, a, a friend and business mentor of mine once paid me an amazing compliment. He was a, he was a much much older um, person, um, and he passed. And I went to see him before he passed, and he paid me one of the biggest compliments I've ever received in my life. And he said, "Thank you for being." And I just like happen to do all of these things that beings do. And, um, and I, I guess I would, how do you know, like, who, who am I? How do I identify? Um, I identify as a husband. I identify as a father. I identify as a friend. Um, you know, there are cultural identities and and ethnic identities that I, that I, um, that define who I am, I guess. Um, not I guess, I know. Um, I'm, I'm Mexican, married to a German. Um, I live in Seattle. I was raised in California, on, on a farm in California, which has a lot to do with the, with, with my understanding of the world and how, I, and how I identify as well. I'm originally born in Mexico City, um, and that has a lot of, of, of identity for me. Um, I went to school in santa cruz which is which was a very i mean I still have connections just this morning. I ran into somebody that lived in Santa Cruz um as I was coming into my office here um, cool. yeah that's how i identify you know i'm a i'm a a political activist i'm a i'm a business person business uh operator and owner um, i I'd like to think i'm <laughs> I'm somewhat intellectual. I keep, I keep up to date with current events and what's happening with economies. And um, I travel and I, you know, I love languages. I, I like do it all. You know, I do all these things. And um, awesome. And so there you go. That's uh, that's who I am and how I am. And that just, you know, kind of scratches the surface. I like uh, I like to sing. I like to uh, rattle off on guitar and, you know, bang a drum and run through the woods and
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> all of the things the school the intellectual the um yeah the emotional the spiritual the um the things that are not uh, that are not given word
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, totally
0: yeah i yeah there you go just like you you know you're really you know i think um i think this is kind of how we connected we realized that there are um there are they're vast axioms of knowledge. And uh, we like to plug into those axioms and, uh, and not plug in to those axioms. Um, And so that's, that's how I am. That's who I am. Um, In a short, in a short little unsuccinct (laughs) nutshell.
1: Well, it's, it's perfect because I I think that it's it's you know it's been a part of my journey and i i i hear it in um <clears throat> some of the way you're you're talking about this which is there is a part of the modern world that makes it hard to show up with your whole self in all your contexts and and i say that as like a a very privileged white guy right and you know which it's just but it but it's just true for so many people i think you know you work at a place um and you, you know i think what what often happens is um you can you show up and you constrain yourself in different ways you show up in You don't talk about your family or you don't talk about your spouse's, you know, health struggle that's happening at the moment or the fact that your kid's not sleeping. Like there's, I know I have a a good friend who works at, um, one of the, you know, one of the big prestigious consulting firms and, uh, you know, a week into COVID, uh, one of their, a partner there sent out. 10 page memo and like here's how you need to dress for zoom video calls um and it's like no like maybe you don't need to dress that way like maybe it's okay to show up to a zoom video call even if it's with you know a, a ceo at a big company like with your dog in the background or or whatever like there's a way i think that this whole crisis has has let a lot of people show up with a with their their wholeness in a way that they weren't Able to before, um, and you know we haven't talked in a in a couple months. But for me, one of the things that that it's made me realize is that, um, you know, I there's there there are companies that I love working with. There are big there are big companies I love working with. I'm doing really cool stuff at Microsoft right now, and you know, Etsy has been a company that I've I've really um, liked working with over the years, um, but. What I'm realizing, what I realized in this kind of COVID, you know, shock or transition is like, there are a lot of companies where I was trying to show up to do work, but the the people across the table from me weren't, they weren't showing up with their whole selves. And so the work that I like, you know, the work that I like doing is helping people get unstuck, helping groups tap into their wisdom to solve, you know, really big, hard problems or co- working in a coaching relationship with somebody where it's like, you know, it's all about how you're framing, how you're talking about stuff, how you're framing even the small things. And you can't, you can't advance unless you're vulnerable. And I think one of the things that has made me shift my practice to working more with kind of small and medium-sized business owners is that those are folks that, you know, unlike a kind of, you know, even senior VP at a big company, like you just, you, you can't limit, you you've got to show up. If you, if you're- You've got to be real- You've got to be real. You've got to show up with your whole self and you've got to realize you've got to be honest with yourself and realize that, that you, you know, with all of your, your, I, I love this idea that your, your neuroses and your superpowers are the same thing. And so the thing that made you awesome at diving in and, you know, starting this business is also the thing that gets in the way as you grow and hire people and have to delegate more. Like, like there's, there's this wave. If you're honest with yourself, you realize that you know that you're the one who has to get. You've got to get out of your own way. And I think that in in the kind of bigger companies, it's just it's easier to hide from that work than it is if you're if you're kind of you know if you're showing up with yourself all work. the time. Uh, there's
0: there's a concept of there's a concept of mask um, that exists in society, and there is this really you probably know the work of. Um, Irving Goffman, um, and one of uh, one of the books that um, that uh, Goffman wrote was a presentation of self in everyday life. Um, yeah. I think you know. it. I haven't it.
1: read it actually.
0: Yeah, I would. I mean, it's it's insightful. You know, it was. I think it was it was quite insightful um, uh, in its time, and I think there have been other works that have been created that are very similar in in um, in approach to being able to just say okay, what is, what is society? How do you show up within society? And, you know, there's, I, I like to, <laughs> I hate to use, I, I, I hate the contemporary use of the word. I shouldn't say hate, but I've, it irks me, the contemporary use of the word fake for obvious reasons. <laughs> I'm not going to get into them. But, but there is, um, but uh, you talked about framing, but there's also even uh, articulation within that framing. And I like to call it fake voice. And throughout society, people say like, "Oh, how are you?" I'm fine. And there's like this this sing songy, right. um, uh, Kind of a back off. Don't ask me any questions. There's there's there is um, uh, there's a coded message within the intonation of the language that we use. Uh, to give signaling to the other conversants in the par- in the in the to the other participants in the conversation of this is how far I am taking you in my inner right. layer, and and, right. and you and you signal that through through voice, you signal that through appearance, you signal that through uh, through the accessories that you're wearing, you know my cravat, you know which I'm using to blow my nose. You know, at the end of the day, like you're saying, definitely,
1: it's, definitely a back off cravat. I've always thought that about. Yeah, yeah.
0: you know, it's like, <laughs> hey,
1: you know, like back
0: off. <laughs> um, it there's, yeah, I mean, there there's a signaling that uh, that, that we put on in society, um, and like you said, at larger organizations, doesn't have to be a corporation; it can be institution, government. Uh, um, entity um there's a reluctance i think to show real self um because it yeah. shows vulnerability like we're here to totally. do a job and that job is very narrow scoped um you know i, I did have uh, at my at my prior firm before i went into business for myself um there was not a lot of camaraderie you people didn't like go out and hang out after work. It was like, you know, we're here, here's the status, uh, you're working on this project, here's the bug count, uh, we're going to triage these things, uh, here are the milestones that have been met, and that's it, you know, I don't care how you're, uh, you know, no, personally, I do, but, you know, it was, you, you know, you leave your, you leave your problems at the door, and you show up as your, uh, you show up as your, as your blue badge mask, and, uh, and that's it.
1: <laughs> totally. Well, and what, and what, I think is, what I think is interesting about that, and, and here's something that I believe very, very deeply. Um, I think that the ability for a company or an organization to make people show up in masks and do excellent work is dwindling. Because I, I think the scope and scale of problems is exploding. And so, you know, I've done some work with a, a a company that makes appliances. So big company, you know they they put motors and stuff that then spins around and and, yep. and and that moves gears and da 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 da. Totally. And so, you know, they're huge, right? And that was their and they have they have as an organization like optimized that business over more than a century. Um, but now they not only have motors and gears and stuff; they have computers, and they're connected to the internet. And you know, it's a very different kind of problem to solve. It's a problem of a very different nature. They, the phrase they use is they're, they're like, "We're really good at bending metal," um, and it's like, "Yeah, now you got to bend metal and change your strategy and build software." And I think it's a it's a totally it's a totally fascinating shift. And I think it's interesting because like, I'm not 100% convinced that that what I said is right about tackling bigger problems requires this, but I I do think that there really is an element where that perspective resonates with me. Uh, there, And I, I think there are, you know, there's also heterogeneities within organizations. So, you know, Absolutely. we're both in Seattle. We have uh, both, I, I have a, a, I'm sure a ton of friends that work at Amazon and like, some people show up at Amazon and and love it, and other people show up at Amazon and it's kind of excruciating because they sure. yeah. they no one is showing vulnerability. Um, so I, I just I think it's super interesting. So um tell 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 what's the tell tell me the name of your, your business.
0: Uh, the name of my business is doxide Cannabis. Uh, and uh, I'll explain a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, please, astute, off...
1: astute readers will notice uh, <laughs> that your business contains the word cannabis in it, astute, astute listeners.
0: Astute listeners, your, uh, your audience out there in uh, internet world uh, will realize that I just said the word cannabis. And um, <laughs> and about about nine years ago, I would say that that word was not commonly used. Most people knew the word weed or pot or ganjo or, uh, or as is... Uh, R- racistly referred to the plant as marijuana um uh it's uh it, yeah we we are a state licensed uh, okay hold sp- on i
1: just i gotta pause there because i yeah, just sure i i just lo- like my <laughs> just love you exploding my consciousness tell me about um and we we should say also, so you've already done this a couple of times, but I just want to give uh, sure, a, sure. a little bit more context. You are, uh, you studied linguistics and you worked in linguistics for years. So words are, I think, very important. Yeah, to you.
0: yeah, 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 sure. Like how, how, uh, what happened? So uh, uh, born in Mexico City, uh, immigrated with my mother at the age of two to uh, California raised on a farm in uh, rural California. I really took to school and, um, and I went to the University of California uh, at Santa Cruz to study mathematics. And a friend of mine said, oh, you should take a linguistics course. You're going to love it. And I said, wow what's that <laughs> and uh and on his recommendation i took a course and i completely fell in love well lo and behold i had no idea but uh the university of california at santa cruz houses one of the top linguistics departments in the world <laughs> and so
1: awesome.
0: by accident i received this world-class education in theoretical linguistics that encompass branches of syntax semantics phonology morphology pragmatics um I mean, it was just incredible. No textbooks, everything was, you know, you are being taught by, uh, uh <laughs> by, by people that developed the theories, uh, that uh, folks across the world are using and applying in artificial intelligence in, uh, in, I mean, just all manner of applied linguistics, uh, just across the spectrum. And, um, like I said, I really fell in love with the subject matter. And by the time I hit my senior year, uh, I was done with the entire program. And I asked my professors, well, what, what can I do? And they said, well, why don't you, why don't you start your, why don't you start the, um, the first year graduate series um, uh, in your senior year, and then you can do some research with, uh, with, with the professor. I said, yeah, that sounds great. And so I did that. And, um, and by the end of that, I had, uh, I had developed a framework um, based on another framework, but, but to solve a very specific problem, uh, to account for a very specific phenomena uh, within the Spanish language. Um, and it was uh, the marking of uh, direct object marking. And so what I did was I developed a framework that said, oh, uh, this is actually looking at the animacy of the noun in place of direct object with uh, with subject. And then there is some kind of a, a calculation that the mind is doing within the Spanish language that says, oh, I need to mark the direct object with a flag, the personal A. and um, that framework got recognized by somebody at the, uh, at the natural language group uh, at Microsoft, and they were looking for somebody um, – well, they were, they were looking for a number of people that were developing a heuristic engine um, for natural language processing, uh, early stages of AI in, uh, in NLP at Microsoft. And um, I got a phone call from a recruiter. I did a phone screen. I did another phone screen. I did another interview, and within three weeks of that phone call, I was living on Capitol Hill and working in Redmond.
1: <laughs> Crazy.
0: And I asked one professor, I was like, "Can I, can I just leave and finish off the work that I was doing?" And they're like, "I don't care. As long as you finish the work, it's fine." So I moved up to Seattle, started working in um, in NLP, um, uh, natural language processing. Um, with the natural language group at the time that spun off of uh a group that grew from microsoft research Um, yeah and we we created a um we created an engine uh that is being used the world over um in grammar checking spell checking uh named entity recognition um I, I think I signed an NDA, so I'm not going to get into too many details <laughs> about what Microsoft is doing with AI. But people know. I mean, it's you know, it's basically language processing, um, and there are a number of different components uh, that are yeah. involved. And so, anyway, so uh, and when? Did, why, so what?
1: What? When did you leave there?
0: I left. I left. So I started Microsoft at the beginning of 2000, and I left seven years later. So uh, almost seven years later. Uh, it was the, the summer of the summer of 2007 um and um and well you know so this is this is really important I've, I've always um uh I have I've always been interested in concepts of philosophy and politics even from a very young age um I mentioned to you that I grew up on a farm. And so having that experience, I was a, I was a farm worker. I, you know, I hoed cotton, I picked cherry tomatoes, uh, uh peaches, plums, oranges, uh, almonds, uh, you don't actually pick on almond, but you know, there, you can work in almond fields or almond groves. Um, and, um, and my father was very involved uh, in the United Farm Workers, so I understood what political organizing meant and what using one's voice to drive a message um, to affect uh, societal change, what that looked right. like, what, what organizing looked like, and I really appreciated that um, uh, growing up. And then going to Santa Cruz, obviously, you know, cannabis use was was normalized for me in Santa Cruz, and and I've always. Yeah, I mean even even coming up to Seattle, um I was not shy even in the early 2000s about you know, I wasn't blatant about it, but you know, I would walk around smoking a duber, <laughs> looking at a nice sunset. I mean it's what you do, you know, one 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 should do. Um and um and I you know, I I was you know, not not cavalier and not preachy about uh, about my personal cannabis use but i w- i certainly wasn't wasn't shy about it um yeah. and um and a lot of the people in technology you know i had a lot of colleagues brilliant brilliant minds uh who were also you know uh, ganja smokers and um you know we found our own circle and tribe within that group and and we would exchange ideas about what's a- was like about how uh, ridiculous the the laws were um, you know th- those ideas really stuck with me uh, through, throughout my entire tenure at microsoft and um, and then I had a, a dear friend, still a very close friend who uh, who encouraged me to to become a student of economics uh, while I was at Microsoft so i, I I really I, I look back at my time um, there, and I am very grateful <laughs> a tremendously huge organization that has global touch, um, but for the people that I got to meet and the experiences that I had with those folks, both within the within the work um, and also outside of the work, and just the conversations that those that 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 experience led to um, uh, again, I, you know, I started studying economics, and <clears throat> y- yeah, yeah and I, and then I, I, at some point, I realized, like, holy smokes, <laughs> what I really need to do, what I want to do is, is do my own business, and so, and so I started, I started delving into what the mechanisms of business were, um, and I had a, a dear friend, Gordon Brown, um, who said, oh, you know, and he was, I'm, I'm not going to use the crass language that he used on your podcast, but uh, he said, you, you should, you should chat with my brother, uh, Bruce, who, who helps young entrepreneurs, um, uh, who helps young entrepreneurs develop their path within business. And that was through uh, the SBA, the Small Business Administration, and an organization called SCORE, uh, service Corps of Retired Executives, and Bruce was an advisor there, and um, and he became my business mentor. And I said, you know, I really I, I want I want to get into business, Bruce. And he was like, okay, well, what's your plan?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, do you have a plan for this business? And and one piece of advice that he gave to me that you know, even outside of the the technology realm, which can be very abstract, with concrete things that you're doing, but one thing that that he really inculcated in me was be specific yeah be specific it's fine to philosophize it's wonderful to philosophize but when you're trying to take an idea and create reality out of that idea you need to be very specific you need to have the millimeter measurement of what you're doing you need to uh, be able to plan and so and so with that um with that advice i started really thinking about what I wanted to do and, and what I, what I enjoyed doing. Um, and it wasn't that I, that I wasn't enjoying, um, the natural language group, the natural language work that I was doing at Microsoft, but I, I realized that I, at that time in my life, I didn't really care to be in a massive organization and I wanted more autonomy than, uh, than I had within the group. And, And so with a friend, uh, with a friend, I founded, uh, I founded a restaurant and bar on Capitol Hill. Um, it's, it's now, it it originally was called Artemis cafe, uh, wonderful place. Uh, but the, uh, but the economics of that business model were not the right thing at the time 2007 as your, as your viewers know, (laughs) was, (laughs) there was a significant economic, uh, uh, Situation that was happening globally, and uh, there was a contraction. Obviously, there was a massive recession, and people were not um, were not spending their their hard-earned dollars, or at least uh, the market that I needed to work. Uh, in that specific business, they, they were not spending. We had we had luminaries of Seattle coming to uh, to our restaurant. In fact, we were honored to have uh, Mr. Bill Gates and his wife and a set of friends, and we were happy to host them. And I got to meet him, and I said, "Hey, what's up, Bill? Thanks for coming to my place. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're partly responsible for this being here. I used to work at your firm." And uh, he was <laughs> your you know, small your small company. <laughs> your small company but he had something to do with this. And, uh, you know, it was very gracious and, you know, quiet and just said like, right on, super. <laughs> right. Uh, I said, enjoy your meal. And, um, and so, and so while I had that, uh, while I had the restaurant, so where all of this is getting to the point of like, how is it that I am now one of the, one of the founders and directors of Dockside Cannabis, a small retail chain of cannabis retailers in Seattle, Washington. So while I had the restaurant Um, again, I'll remind you and your listeners that I was still very much a, um, a student of politics, a student of philosophy, a student of, um, of social change. Um, and with the partner that I had in the restaurant, um, we started developing white papers to really analyze what economic models could exist within the state of Washington given the statute uh, that was in place um, for, for medical cannabis law, and uh, for medical cannabis use for medical patients. And um, as it turns out, it was, um, it had provisions in it such that um, we developed a framework um, where an economic model was feasible. And again, still being you know politically involved here in Seattle and having friends that were policymakers, I started presenting this white paper to friends that were policymakers um, uh, the guy who was running for mayor, Mike McGinn, at the time, uh, the guy, the, uh, the gentleman who is now the city attorney, uh, Pete Holmes, uh, the uh, the county executive, Dow Constantine, uh, council members like Nick Licata, um, his aide at the time, now council member Lisa Herbold, um, and other folks um, uh, in that in that circle, of folks, Cleveland Stockmeyer, who was not a policymaker but was very very involved um, in, in, poli- in, local politics here in Seattle. And all of them said, boy, you're, nuts. you know, it was, it was a two, three page white paper, very, very high level as white papers tend to be. Um, just stating the facts and, um, and, and that really more is, uh, those conversations led to other ideas and conversations one specifically that uh that my friend nick lakata then council member then a council member uh said to me he said well what's your constituency and i thought oh sh- what a rookie <laughs> what a noob um i said well like me and you know like two other people that i've been chatting about this with and he was like you, you need to you need to have numbers dude and I was like, okay, right? I got you. I, I, I totally get it. And so and so then what ended up happening was uh, a handful, five of us gathered at uh uh at on the deck of the of the of the lookout, what is now the restaurant, Artemis Cafe we turned into the lookout, uh, which is now a, a wonderful bar on Capitol Hill corner, of Bellevue, Bellevue, Bellevue. Um We sat down and we chatted and we formed an organization called the Coalition for Cannabis Standards and Ethics. And what the the aim of this organization was is to provide a regulatory structure for an industry that was burgeoning, which had no statute in place to be able to regulate it or no no regulations that were developed from, from law. And so we created our own. And we started gathering, we started meeting, we started exchanging ideas. And from that, um, we developed the groundwork for a locally regulated medical cannabis marketplace within the Seattle city limits. In fact, we worked with city council to pass the first uh, medical cannabis ordinance in a large U S city. There were a couple of, you know, we did a lot of research. There were a couple of, there were a couple of small cities in in Michigan, like Ann Arbor, which is not a tiny, it's not a tiny city, but it's not a, you know, it's not a metropolis. Um, you know, we studied some of, some of the work that they did, um, and other small, other municipalities that had medical cannabis laws within their state, um, that enacted these ordinances. And so, uh, through this organization, uh, and through those efforts, we worked with law enforcement we worked with uh, with the policymakers, with city council, with the mayor 's office or so the executives uh, to make sure that they bought off so that when we were engaged in providing medical cannabis resources to patients that needed them through a through a distributed network of 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 modes of production and, and and distribution, these these dispensaries that popped up and the and the and the medical cannabis uh, providers that supplied them, it provided uh, it basically provided a shield that said, "Here is an ordinance. Here is a statute that says you should not kick down my door and beat me with a stick. You chat with them; they're human beings just like you and I. I like one thing I like to say is we all have to take a shit." doesn't matter if you are, uh, you know, the, the queen of Spain or whether you are, you know, the local, the local barkeep. You all make use of the plumbing that is, is, is available to you. And so, again, back to this point of, you know, just being real and being able to talk to people, looking them in the eye and saying, here is, here, here is specific reality of what society is doing. How do we conform the laws? You know, this goes back to Hobbes, right, and Leviathan, of, you know, laws. Laws catch up to the activity of, of society, not the other way around.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: you know. And so, and so, anyway. So, I had the restaurant. I started writing white papers uh, uh, with my friend and colleague and and and, uh, and co-founder of the restaurant, Boris Gordonitsky, and uh, also an engineer um, uh, by training Brilliant Man, um, uh, he went off to do production, uh, of cannabis within the regulated system, and I went to do retail, the, the customer-facing, uh, portion, and, um, I stayed involved with the policy and, and organizing, um, effectively (laughs) organizing a constituency, um, right, and, um, and, you know, you, you, at least for me friendship is is very very important knowing who i am working with and and who i can trust what are the trust bonds that you can that you can move just like a uh, just like notions of capital or notions of value stores how can i trust that i can buy a you know a bag of uh, a bag of potatoes uh, with this uh with this napkin oh because this napkin is a very special napkin that says totally. you know he he or she 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 or he or they that that uh you know that that that, that holds this napkin can turn it into a bag of potatoes
1: <laughs> Oscar, and, I'm, I'm sorry and, I'm and, sorry and, to say I don't think the napkin ever contemplated they i think <laughs> I think the napkin was mostly he for a long long time, and then yeah yeah,
0: yeah no 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. well, you know whatever and um you know however the napkin wants to identify, it, and you know the person holding the napkin. Truly valid and 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 uh, and accepted, um, and so um, you know. And so, and so, given all of that, um, these these trust bonds have always played a very important part in my in my life. And you can you know you just don't have to think about it. If you trust that that is there, you can make a move instead of having to research and and go and and verify. Okay, is that true? Yes. Okay, very good. And so that yeah. being said, I reached out. I reached out to a friend who was also a colleague at Microsoft, and I said to her, hey, she was working at a large firm, also doing AI work uh, downtown, and I finished an MBA, and uh, she said, yes, and I said, hey, I want you to read something, um, and she read it, and it was this white paper, and she yeah you're insane that was and she said but this makes a lot of sense and I said I'm coming to you because I would like you to um to meet a couple of friends that I've been working with doing some political work with and also I'd like for you to consider working with me um on on this new business venture and she's brilliant a dear friend of mine Maria Moses co- one of the co-founders of uh, of Dockside Cannabis with me and um yeah, just a very wise, uh, wise person. And so I've always really trusted her judgment uh, more than anything. You know, she likes to say she's always right. I like to say she's almost always right. <laughs> <laughs> because we have that kind of, you know, back and forth relationship. And um, it's good and healthy. And um, we, formulated, uh, we, for- we formulated the basis of uh, what came to be Docside Co-op. Uh, That I mentioned before. And she said, Hey, there's somebody that that you should meet somebody that I just finished uh, my MBA with. And that person, I like to refer to him as the guy you throw in the air that turns into sunshine. That's Aaron Varney, our other other, uh, leg of the triangle. Um, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful human being um, who, who co-founded Dockside uh, with Marie and me. And so we, we, we moved through uh, the medical cannabis space running this small co-op here, a couple of doors down. My, I live and work in Fremont, um, and our co-op was here in Fremont. And at that time, again, trust bonds, we needed to work with people that we knew. And we had very close, trusted friends uh, uh, they'll remain nameless, <laughs> but uh, but they're 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 large land uh, owners here in Fremont. Your viewers can research that on on their own. <laughs> um, but they gave us the opportunity to open up a space, um, which then um, which then allowed us to to continue doing the political work uh, that eventually led to the initiative of I five hundred two passing in two thousand and twelve. Uh, led by Allison Holcomb from the ACLU and City Attorney Pete Holmes and Rick Steves, the travel uh, guru, um, they were the front. They were the face. Uh, how would you say uh, endorsers of of this initiative? And so, we've done a lot of good political work uh, with all of these folks, and you know, because we were so close to everything, we knew exactly what the timing was, what the movements were, when to apply, how to apply. And again, you know, I'd had this wonderful experience at Microsoft, then having the experience of running my own business with a restaurant and really cutting my teeth in a very, very difficult um, industry, the restaurant industry. I yeah, I understood what, what the mechanisms were for running, for running business. And so we were able to continue to develop our business and, position ourselves to be able to expand and transition into a state regulated and a state licensed model when uh, initiative after initiative 502 passed. And so now, I'm very happy to say we have four, four beautiful, internationally award winning (laughs) retail shops here in here in this beautiful city. So there you go.
1: Um, I, that's awesome. And I there's so much that I love about your, your story that I think is really interesting. Um, you know, people, um, you know, the classic there's, there's just these elements of the kind of classic entrepreneur sort of thing, but, but with a little bit of a twist, one of them I like is like, like just being embedded in, in cannabis culture. And so you talked about Santa Cruz. And so just like, in a sense, you know, that's the classic thing of like, Bringing a problem that you want solved to your business, and the problem that you want totally to, like, why is there not this this culture here? Um, but the other thing I love, you know, people talk about, you, you know, the kind of like people talk about creating a market, and I mean, you know, you literally created a market. You created a market from, or or you sh- you took a market that was kind of a- parallel, parallel to the yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah and yeah, you, and yeah, you yeah exactly. Blew it up into the mainstream. Y-
0: yes, not, not alone, obviously, and uh, right. and and, um, and with with uh, with the help of society. And really, you know, I think there, there was a lot of temperature gauging that I ended up having to do, uh, both with um, with policymakers, um, but just within society. I think one really important exercise that I've that I've always found useful is observation. Just going out into society and watching people. What are they like? What are their idiosyncrasies that I can notice anyway? Um, You know, what are their, what are their, what are their movements? What are they wearing? How are they wearing it? How do they speak to each other? And this is different in every single market. And if you are going to develop a project for a market or a product or a service within a market, you have to understand what that market is. How to speak to that market, how to yeah. present to that market. What are the economics of that market? I mean, there are elasti- there, there's, there's elasticity in, in product and service, um, across economics, understanding what that is. Is there a segment of the market that you're targeting? That's what we did. We ended up developing dockside co-op to serve the NPR listener. And it was really, it was really that basic. It was like, okay, well, you know, what's, what is the NPR listener? Well, they listen to KUOW here in Seattle. So let's get on KUOW and start talking to the people there. Let's develop this place as a place where our grandmothers and our grandfathers uh, can come and feel safe. Let's talk to, let's, let's talk to local oncologists that are, that are here in town. And what are their, you know, if they give us an audience, let's find out who their patients are, what their needs are. How do you deal with somebody like this? Really understanding, um, um, the marketplace. Yeah. And I think that's really been, um, uh, it's been very useful for us just to be able to understand, observe, process, and then develop based on those, on those processes. And then the other axiom is, is, is that we, we, I like to say we have a values based organization. We really, you know, um, uh, uh, this, this golden rule of treat others as, as, as you would like to be treated. I like, I, in Santa Cruz, I was exposed to the concept of treat others as they want to be treated. So it really forces you to put yourself in their position and to empathize with who they are because they're not you. You, you have right. to really, you know, the, this like notion from Spinoza, uh, you know, of the not self. It's a very, very... Um, one, it's a wonderful concept that really uh, it has enabled me in business to be able to say, "Okay, I am not the, I am not my, I am not my customer." Very well, right. who is my customer? How do they want to be treated? You know, th- these are these are very important questions to ask yourself, uh, whether you're in a you know sole proprietorship on you know in Wallingford selling kites to children, or whether, uh, or more importantly. To those children's parents or their guardian right. or whoever, or you know whether you're working for a, a multinational that makes hundreds of billions of dollars a year, you know that's very very different. But the but the approach is the approach to understanding the customer is similar, in that you have to put yourself in those shoes.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, I I'm really curious about because you have um, this is like almost like an anti customer, but like. Um, your business is, from a federal perspective, totally illegal.
0: We are we are engaged in an industrial act of civil disobedience against.
1: <laughs> I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. You've obviously, you've obviously thought about that. And I am not alone. <laughs> right. So I guess one question you know you think about it's not just customers, right? It's customers and stakeholders, and regulators. Like, what is your what is your your kind of deep empathy that you're talking about? how does that how does that give you kind of guesses or insights about you know the kind of practicalities of of the the US federal government response to your industrialized acts of civil disobedience
0: Mr. Oscar goes to Washington. And when Mr. Oscar goes to Washington, he goes and he speaks to federal policymakers. Uh, this is one thing that I left out in, very early on in 2011. I was approached by, by a man named Aaron Smith, who was starting to form an organization called the National Cannabis Industry Association. And he came to Dockside. He found our website. He found some reviews. And he said, hey, you know, I'm looking to talk to whoever's running the show because you seem to be doing a pretty good job. Here's what I'm doing. And I said to Aaron, excellent here's what we're up to in seattle washington and he said wow fantastic how would you like to how would you like to help me get the word out and and develop membership for this idea that i'm that i'm building i said i think it's absolutely clutch that we have representation uh, nationally for the movement that we're, we're making and so at this point there are thousands if not tens of thousands of members in the national cannabis industry association across all 50 states of the union and, uh, and some people even outside of, uh, outside of the U S and, um, and so again, all of these folks that have to use the plumbing are also elected officials that are congressmen that are senators. And, um, and so it's a lot of temperature gauging. It's a lot of educating. It's saying, it's saying, Hey, there are institutions in, uh, in cancer treatment centers, uh, that are global leaders in this, that are using this product medically for their patients. How can you tell me this is wrong? What, what is, what is, uh, help me understand, uh, help me understand the discrepancy that we see here. And, and, you know, I mean, there's, sometimes political change can take a very long time to, um, to take effect. Um, and you have to have patience. And if you have to sit through a three hour council meeting, uh, so that you can have the 15 seconds at the end to go over and shake somebody's hand and introduce yourself, uh, to, to, to open up a conversation two months later, you do it.
1: Yeah. You yep.
0: have to do that, and and these are the efforts that we undertook with the NCIA at the federal level. Um, you know, th- th- as you said, this is still a, a Schedule One, um, uh, a Schedule One item on on the CSA, and um, and yeah, I mean, there's, you know, yeah, there there, there are still these laws on the books uh, uh, that exist, and at this point we are bringing in billions of dollars to state coffers
1: right right which is revenue. like the money talks right i mean Acro- across
0: the country you know and and it's very popular this is a very popular thing you have all manner of people that use yeah. cannabis whether medically or, or or for adult use and so it's a, it's a, it's a trucker who's a teamster, it's a nurse it's a, you know it's a you know it's a school teacher, it's a doctor, it's a you know yeah. the guy that works at the subway at seven eleven you know the, the young lady who's you know working for the department of transportation, you know whatever
1: yeah so uh, yeah which is which is kind of interesting and 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 awesome, I think, like that in in doing so it's it's enabled a lot more people to just get connected with this you know. This, um, I mean, this plant medicine, this thing that, that that changes your mind in in these different ways. Um, so, t- oh yeah, I want to go back to this marijuana. Why is why is the word marijuana racist? I never, mm, I never would have. Yeah. Um, um,
0: you know, I'm I'm probably gonna mess up the history of it, but um, there was a uh, folks that were using marijuana before it uh, it became federally illegal. Um, Again, I think it was pretty broad. Um, Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company out of Indianapolis, was making cannabis extracts uh, before cannabis prohibition, and so this is you don't get much more normalized than Eli Lilly, I guess Totally. Uh, and uh, you know, you had smaller smaller medical producers out of uh, Kalamazoo and you know just all over uh, that were producing um, uh, cannabis medicine and um, Uh, who else was, uh, was smoking reefer, um, you know, um, jazz musicians, uh, people with active melanin in their skin. I'll just call it, you know, like Brown and black people. And, um, this was, uh, uh, this was, this was a way to, uh, to be able to marginalize an activity that was being undertaken by that segment of the population and say, the activity that you're conducting is now illegal. And we can use that to hold you and incarcerate you. <laughs> and um, yeah. you know, And I, I, I don't know that I should say that, that the, the term marijuana is, um, I, you know, I don't want to give a value judgment to it. Um, you know, the, the, the term, the term is, is cannabis. But I think the, the, the fact that uh, the term marijuana was used is, um, you know, it's a, for, it's a foreign word and things that people. Right, right, using. right.
1: It's othering. It's, it's othering. it's
0: othering. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly that it's othering. It's, it's creating, it's creating the, it's creating the scary, not self. Um, and, right. um, and it's a way to be able to convey that message and to drive that. I mean, it's, it's propaganda just like anything else. It's, it's being able to, uh, uh, to have control of a narrative and being able to make it spin to, to your whim. Um, And so, I mean, you look at what, uh, you look at what that's led to, that's led to massive arrests of, uh, of, what is activity that has been criminalized and people's lives are ruined because they can't get, uh, you know, they can't get financial aid for college and they can't, you know, if they've, if they decided to participate in a, in a parallel market, uh, maybe they did so much so that their voting right was taken away. And so they can, totally. you know, in, 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 you know, for all intents and purposes, they're no longer allowed to participate in uh, in civil society to be able to use their their vote as their voice to be able to choose who their elected leaders are and so um, you know I mean it, it it lends to structural racism and and being able to disenfranchise and marginalize uh, groups of people that uh, that choose to use this product um, now again you know like our 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 brown brothers and sisters and our and our and our white brothers and sisters that use this and our you know all multicolor multiracial, multilingual uh yeah, I'll say you know brothers and sisters across the planet um, should be able to <laughs> to freely consume or not consume cannabis to their heart's delight, um, you know so long as they're <laughs> doing it safely and not not jeopardizing anybody's uh anybody else's health um right. And so you're seeing that now. You know, you, you, this is a, this is a sea change across the planet. You have conversations of, of legalization that are happening across the globe. Germany has medical cannabis systems in place. Italy is starting to put those in place. Spain has a, a kind of a um, uh, they're called they're called uh, they're called clubs uh you know it's kind of a gray area that they operate in Um, uh, netherlands has been uh operating uh with coffee shops for a very very long time in a gray area um uh, israel has medical uh medical cannabis use um that is normalized um, uh, i was privileged to be able to give a a, um, a primer to the french prime minister's office on the topic and so you know really like large economies across the planet are starting to have these conversations yeah, um, and are starting to see that like, oh, well, you know, one, like you mentioned before, like, oh, there's money to be made here. Great. You know, that speaks to some of the folks and other folks are, are, are also considered with the social ramifications of what, what this change um, uh, helps to, to undertake. So,
1: yeah, there you go. So tell, tell you, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. So yep. talking about the 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 nuts and bolts, you guys have four locations. You've got three three owners, or you know three founding yeah, partners they're, they're, plus they're other owners. Three
0: of us. No, it's just the three of us. We've uh, cool. we we have uh, there. We there's a you you want to look this up? There's a wonderful story uh, by a. Um, Bloomberg reporter uh that that appeared on the cover of cannabis dispensary magazine it's the December issue and Doc's cannabis this is a national if not international publication um and we were privileged enough to make that uh to make that cover and the story that that tells is um is how we maneuvered Our company, uh, within all of these, I guess some people have called them pump and dumps (laughs) within the, within the cannabis space where, uh, there have been IPOs for, uh, there have been IPOs for, for, for cannabis companies that, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what the, what the metrics for valuation and, and, um, uh, of these firms are and what the, right, what the true value of, um, of what people are investing into. Uh, and, and we were, not, not that we were headed that route to an IPO route, but certainly we, we did at some point have you know, rosy colored glasses and thought, oh my God, we could, we could take this global and <laughs> make this a huge company and take over the world with, with Ganja. And you know what, my father-in-law who was a wonderful, wise, wise man said to me, do you need to do that? Yeah, This comes back to notions of needs and wants. Right. And so, you know, and, 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 really thinking about it from a business perspective is what is the market doing right now? What is it? What, first of all, what are our goals? Right. Right. Our, you know, what, what do you want to do? Are you, are you, are you running the rat race to run the rat race or do you have very specific goals? Again, you know, we came of totally. this is a values base company we're here to take care of our customers we're here to take care of each other and and that has served us very well and so we, yeah we we scaled back from those ambitions and what we've done is we've we're we are focusing on four for right now if you know we ended up we ended up developing another line of business which which has proven to be very uh just very fulfilling uh which has been um Uh, executive consulting much like you do uh with larger organizations and institutions and governments um we now take the expertise that we have and we help them develop their enterprises or their initiatives whatever those may be and um and that's allowed us to really create the create the guardrails for uh for scaling to our organization of four retail shops in the Seattle metro area. Um, and so, what we do, you know, having a background in software, having a background in engineering and in linguistics, and so on and so forth, is what are the frameworks, what are the processes, and what are the protocols that we need to be able to drive toward our goals. And, um, you know, we think about our staff, we're able to provide healthcare to everybody, we, we provide um, you know, just an environment where people feel valued to come yeah. to work they feel like they're here you know there, there's there's none of this like oh you're the owner and you you know i have to uh you know speak to you in an obsequious uh manner no you know they're a human being we all use the plumbing you know we take care of each other we look after each other um and so that's the it's the culture that we've created you know, and that, that culture is embodied in, uh, in our stores, in the interactions that we have, in our body language that we present, in the eye contact, in the smiles, um, and really just, you know, being a, uh, being a resource uh, for our customers. Um, and
1: for yourself, for your employees. for
0: your- Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So what, um, I'm just kind of, you know what what I'm just curious if you took if you sell, you know if you t- think about a uh, hundred dollars worth of, of product that you guys yep. sell, yep. what you know what percentage of that goes to salaries uh, you know for your employees, um, or sorry, probably wages is the, the right word there, What percentage goes to wages? Um, what percentage is kind of cost of goods sold, you know, like the actual right. yeah, um, yeah, yeah re- so, retail so wholesale. The-
0: these these are all very tricky questions and in your your listeners will want to uh will want to check out um IRC two eighty e that's internal revenue code two eight zero elephant. Uh and um this is very um <laughs> again this was enacted in the nineteen I think it's nineteen eighties um to prevent uh to prevent folks that are dealing in illicit, uh, illicit substances from being able to take, uh, standard business deductions. It's quite, uh, you know, this is, this is in contrast to what you have right now, where you have state regulated businesses that are operating right. above, above board. Um, uh, so to, to say what are cost of goods sold? N- none of these, none of these questions, am, am I going to have a straightforward answer to one is, they're privileged. And I don't want to tell you <laughs> what we're actually, what the percentage of all these things are, not to be coy, but to, um, totally fair. Uh, and, and uh, but, and I appreciate your, your, um, your, your question and I will, I will, I will non answer it. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it, it, ver- it varies. Um, it varies by the business model. Um, Uh, we, we personally at Dockside choose to pay a higher wage than most people from in our industry. Um, and and that it's a business decision. We want to, we want to attract a higher caliber. Well, we shouldn't say that we want to be able to compensate, uh, the people that work for us. So we take a very long time to bring people on. Um, we want to make sure that it's the right fit, you know, and again, using corporate talk or whatever, you know, but we do, we want to make sure that it's the right set of folks that, that shares very similar um, worldview of, uh, of of what it means to serve a customer um, that we have, that the three of us, uh, that the three of us have. And so, um, yeah, we, we choose to pay a little bit of a premium um, for, for those folks. Um, uh, and as far as you know what what is public data um, y- you can you can go out there and find it um, uh you can see what the revenue numbers are uh, one thing for your for your viewers um, is a useful website here in in washington is 502data.com 502data.com um that will um, uh that will give you all of the metrics i think from from march march of this year back of what the revenues are for uh, um, uh, for the cannabis industry here in Washington, so these are super useful um, things to look at, and we actually do our competitive analysis based on based on a lot of that data.
1: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty incredible. Um, the the total total excise tax collected twenty fourteen th- this only has through twenty seventeen so I'm sure there's like uh, they they haven't updated that total, but Seven hundred and forty-two million dollars, which is just just an incredible amount of money.
0: And this is all going to the general fund here, and this is the state of Washington alone.
1: Yeah. So imagine
0: California, which is like the fifth largest economy in the world. <laughs> you think about what those numbers are. Uh, Colorado, New York, Massachusetts—you uh, know—all of these states that have uh, both medical. Well, New York doesn't have uh, adult use yet. I don't believe, um, uh, you know, but certainly Colorado and California do now. Um, and, you know, other States are coming online and those conversations are happening, you know, again, globally, um, you know, and it's basically, you know, taking, uh, taking parallel market and and putting it into a regulated, um, scheme. Um, and there, there are a lot of other things that, that need to be addressed in, in terms of, um, you know, I, I mean, one, one thing that your, your viewers and listeners are probably thinking about right now is, well, what happens to the folks that were operating in the parallel market? They, they just basically went out of, you know, they were supplying ganja to people that were effectively, there was a similar demand, <laughs> you know, there was similar demand before, or, or somewhat similar demand to now. Totally. What, what happened to that supply chain that was there before? Um, some people made the transition, others did not. And then you think about like, well, why not? Well, you look at what traditional economies are doing, who has access to, to capital. It's not like I can walk, I, I, it's not like I can walk into, you know, JPMorgan Chase and say, give me a loan for my business. Here's my business plan. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, what's interesting is that like, like the number of people that can walk into JPMorgan Chase and can, and do that is very small because commercial, like commercial lending Absolutely. is, is, I mean, um, I don't know the numbers, but like as a you know as a concept the small commercial or small consumer loan this sort of relatively low fee is just just doesn't exist anymore and then you add on top of that right so it's it's really interesting in that you know what what the the entry of this new new industry does to that existing market is it is it kind of doubles down on you know social capital and political capital and social capital that relates to access to wealth and so it's a really interesting because i'm sure that your startup costs weren't free um i know your stores are you're they're beautiful um yeah inventory
0: you know they um we had we had we had access to very modest resources when we started when we started the co-op you know we kind of just slapped it together and and again the social capital no, I shouldn't say we slapped it together. It was very thoughtful uh, what we did, but it was certainly on a shoestring budget, and um, we just we've we've managed to be able to reinvest um, the retained uh, the retained earnings, the, the throw off from our businesses, to be able to develop what we have now, and that's yeah. what's allowed us to. Uh, that's what's allowed us to only have uh, the three of us that we that we have to respond to. There's, um, you know, I mean, do, do we, do we have, uh, endless, uh, bottomless pockets that we can rely on? No, but that, you know, again, necessity being the, the mother of ingenuity or invention, right. It's like, okay, totally. you've got, you've got, uh, we've got, we got exactly one loaf of bread. <laughs> How do we feed the masses? You know? Um, so, so
1: I, it's this is really interesting. I just wanna I, I I pulled up the data, um, the 502data.com. It's an awesome resource. I think uh listeners will love to dig into it. So two things are curious. I mean, one thing is, you know, it's we're talking right now in June, the the first of June 2020. So we are still, you know, past the the peak of social distancing. We're entering possibly phase two of of reopening in Washington State. Um, but it still honestly feels like we are really in the thick of this thing um looking at your sales numbers march 2020 appeared to be your your best month ever um, which is interesting um you guys are also excluded from all of the federal assistance programs um by virtue of your um the the the, the nature Correct. of your industrial civil disobedience yes. so what you know take me back to like march 8th uh oh you know 2020 uh, was it like i was sweating was it just bullets. like fuck yeah was, tell yeah me about yeah it. yeah yeah it was
0: like fuck i have a good i have a really good friend you know like you said like well we all have friends at work at amazon yes i have a dear dear friend uh wonderful man and um he called me and he was like hey man how you doing i was freaking the fuck out it was like we're the economy's shutting down that means you know, like 50 people that, you know, the 50 people that we employ, 49, whatever the number close to 50 is that we employ, they're going to be out of work. We have rents to pay. We have, you know, we have responsibilities. I mean, you know, we have our own livelihood to think about. Um, holy shit. And, uh, you know, he was very just kind with, with listening and, and reminding me to just breathe, you know, you, you are, you're capable even if you, if this goes totally sideways, you'll figure it out. You know, I, I grew up the eldest of six children in a single wide mobile home. I know how to be poor.
1: <laughs>
0: if, 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 if push came to shove, humans are resilient. We know how to survive. And just having that reflected back to me by a dear friend was, was so clutch. And I, I thank totally, him. I thank him for that. And, um, and, and we have done a lot of work with policymakers, with regulators, with the executives, with this particular governor. Um, we've we've done a lot of groundwork to be able to demonstrate that we are a responsible uh, industry, that we, we 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 care about the the people that we serve, the communities that we serve, the communities that we operate in. Right. And, and thankfully, the letter came out, and in a very small portion of that letter last sentence of one of the paragraphs was the other essential businesses, cannabis retail, and anybody that provides support to those, um, to those entities. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed. We're lucky, whatever you want to call it uh, to still be able to operate. And, and and you know what? I had a lot of folks that are, you know, dear friends. I like to (laughs) like think they're pretty straight laced folks that, you know, they're, Ooh, Ooh, that's a little controversial, but they were calling me that were like, I'm freaking the fuck out. (laughs) What do you have at your stores that I can take to help, you know, take the edge off. And I I was able to recommend a couple of things to, to some of these folks that you would think like, Ooh, you know, I don't want to say they're teetotalers, but you know, they're now they're, you know, uh, THC tokers. (laughs) Um, And uh, you know, it's, yeah, we're doing what we can to help people cope uh, through what is, you know, just globally unprecedented time, you know. And now with, uh, you know, the murder of uh, George Floyd and, you know, basically civil unrest that is happening within our society, uh, people are, you know, people are on edge. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, come from, from March 8th to now, um, we really feel like we're in a position of, uh, of being able to contribute to society and being able to show a model for what safe transfer of, of a product is in a goods market, um, uh, within our, within our society, you know, and we've, we've had to, we've had to change. I, am so proud of our team, um, and specifically of, of my, uh, um, you know, again, I go back to my, my partner, Maria, who is a real driving force within our organization. She was like, you know, on it, like, what do we do? This is a real pandemic. And we were having conversations about that very early on, even when we were seeing reports out of, uh, out of the things that were happening in Wuhan. And, and we just really kept an eye on what was happening. And, and, you know, uh, she, she particularly was the one that was fanning the flame of like, all right, come on, guys, like we have to have a plan for this. We have to know what we're doing, and we, um, you know, she's she's a professional project product uh, program manager by by training, and so yeah, uh, she's quite disciplined in that. And we, we we utilize a number of of tools internally, like uh, uh, Trello and Basecamp, and yeah, um, and Slack, we're all about uh, we're all about Trello also. Our, yeah you know get get on your channel guy get your card up <laughs> give it a priority tree out it, and so you know we we were you know and uh we are we're very lucky to have uh in in managing position right now um uh one by the name of of julian o'Reilly who also did an m b a with my two partners um and she's the one that is that is leading the operational um aspect of day to day um, uh, within our organization and we just have an amazing team from, you know, from ops to pro- supply chain to uh, communications, um, you know, just the entire thing. Um, yeah. We really have, yeah, we've, we've, we've built a, a, a robust and, um, and resilient group of people. Um, and so that, that really has led to, okay, we were prepared. We knew what to do and um you know n- not not searching for compliments but we re- we've received a number of accolades from our uh, from our industry colleagues and just uh, throughout the community of what a model for social responsibility is of 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 being able to provide a safe experience for our customers social distancing uh you know the whole thing hand sanitizer you know masks
1: yeah plexiglass shields for plexiglass for the- shield exactly you guys have a, a, I think of it as like a little pocket location. Your Dockside Express uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is not yeah. too far from where I live, and I actually remember you and I talked about when you were opening that up and um, some of the challenges around how to how to how to manage the space, even to the extent I remember we 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 kind of chat a little bit about the the size of computers ordered for it, which um, should just give listeners like a sense of like. Like, the constraints we're talking about here. There's just not a lot of space there. And you guys had bumped the counter out, like, I don't know, probably, like, three or four feet. So, now there was, you know, now customers, there could only be one customer in at a time. Fine. Not a big deal. But now your employees had a lot more room. And I'm sure that that wasn't, like, I'm sure that that wasn't something you, I mean, that was something you guys were very thoughtful about. And initially... Absolutely. Initially, that location was closed, and then you, I guess you made those renovations and, and committed back to opening it up, and, and now you, you opened it up.
0: Yeah, you, you know, and the, the, the motivation for, for closing that location was we did not want to burn out the staff. We, we, have, yeah. um, you know, we really try to, to have a, a, a wide range of people that we, you know, we try to represent our customer base, so we have a lot of folks that are um, over 65. Uh, that work for us. And so we said, you're high risk, go home, we'll pay you, go home. Uh, some of the folks that, that had underlying health conditions, uh, we were able to do, you know, basically to to transition and pivot to, you know, what are some of the tasks that we can do while working from home that can still support the larger organization? Do that. We have one person who is a registered nurse uh, that we just transitioned to being on, on the phone or, and doing Zoom meetings with folks Great. You can provide that consulting uh, 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 relationship with patients through technology. And guess what? We live in a modern society. You can do that. So make use of totally. that. And, um, and so, again, we closed that location so that we could take the, the employees that were remaining there and distribute them. Uh, to the other shops. And, you know, the, 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 pocket location was our, was our smallest revenue shop. And so we decided, okay, well, you know, business sense, you know, you close the one that is bringing in the last, the, the, the least amount of, of inflow and um, you redistribute those resources. And then as things started to, to ease and normalize, then we were able to open back up with a, with a modified floor plan. Um, yeah. Uh, to be able to provide these social distancing constraints and we've seen we've seen great partnership from our regulatory partners um from the city of seattle um uh, from our community at large and so um yeah there you go anyway just so your folks know out there in listener world um we're here we're happy I love it here. yeah there you go
1: yeah what a great and what a great kind of sort of snapshot of the fact that there's so much uh, behind the scenes to, to, to kind of pull oh, yeah. this together. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you to take, thank you to you. Uh, big shout out to all the people at Dockside um, and all of the, all of the folks that have helped to make this uh, reality from our construction folks to our architects, to you name it. Yeah. To our, obviously to the farmers that work day in, day out to really create um quality product in a professional atmosphere um thanks again chris it's really really a pleasure to uh chat and to um you know there are lots of other things which we've had conversations about that we didn't get to talk about in this podcast but there's 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 more there's more on the horizon and um you know on an ever-changing landscape that we uh we pine for stability in. (laughs) stay cool out there (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh yeah pine for stability and or or try to embrace the fundamental uncertainty of
0: you yeah. uh dealing with ambiguity was one of the uh uh one of the core competencies at microsoft and i think <laughs> we, we we operate we operate within that realm all the time totally yeah
1: do you know the do you know the phrase negative capability
0: no uh-uh. okay uh, cool i'll have to look that up
1: yeah, Wikipedia actually has an interesting article. It's it's fascinating. It's 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 what we're talking about. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. But it's I'm gonna Sweet. get the paraphrase wrong. It's a letter from from Keats to his brother, I think. And oh, cool. Um, it's something like the ability to prioritize uh, beauty over certainty. Um, mm. And he, he ascribes it as as a real ability. And it's it's wow. really really interesting. Wow. Um. Wow. And we'll leave it there. We'll leave it with negative capability yeah. and negative capability. Sounds good. Talk soon. Take care, see ya. Thanks for listening. To stay in the loop about new episodes and to be eligible for my periodic book bundle giveaways, sign up for the breakdown newsletter at chrisclearfield.com slash giveaway. So what's this giveaway? Every few months, I bundle together three or four influential books, often written or recommended by guests from the show. And I give them away to a few lucky listeners. I'll include a signed copy of Meltdown, and because I'm friends with many of my fellow authors, I try to get their books signed as well. So you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Go to chrisclearfield.com slash giveaway to get on the list. Finally, join your fellow listeners. Subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. And if you love the show, give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. Even one extra review helps us get an edge on the algorithm so more people can find us. And before we roll the credits, remember, if you're a business owner ready to transform your business and your life, Find out more about my approach to coaching and sign up for a free intro session at chrisclearfield.com make the leap. That's all one word, make the leap. The Breakdown with Chris Clearfield is a team effort. The inimitable Rain Avant is our assistant producer and makes everything run smoothly. Gabe Turner and Claire Skinner help make the amazing content here and on my newsletter available at chrisclearfield.com slash the breakdown. Laura Stack is our editor, and our theme was composed by the creative team at Spiky Blimp. Thanks so much for listening, and be well until our next Breakdown.